Welcome to 100 Days in Mexico. I'm Melanie. This is the story of how a 100-day solo road trip, surfing my way down the Pacific coast of Mexico, changed my life forever. Ready to go on a road trip? Strap in, let's do this. Episode 8. Not what I signed up for. Building a brand. T minus three years. When I opened a yoga studio, it might have been the first time in my life that I did something out of love rather than a desire to prove I could do it. Of course, it felt good to know that by the age of 29, I was the owner of a brick and mortar business, but that was never the point. At first, my job with the software company was a dream come true, a good paycheck and lots of travel. I was on an airplane Monday through Friday, each day a different city, another rental car, another hotel room, another airport, but it wasn't long before I was exhausted. I was earning a nice paycheck, so I upgraded from my inland shared living situation to a studio apartment on the sand at the beach. I bought a cute little car and an attractive new wardrobe, and I was still exhausted. A handful of times while in grad school, I had surfed, taking out a board and splashing around. But the summer I moved to the beach, I surfed almost every day until wetsuit season that fall. I was hooked. It didn't matter that I couldn't paddle past the white water or turn my board. It felt like a part of me I never knew I possessed had come alive. Living at the beach, waking each morning to the sound of the waves and the smell of the salt, It made me feel like a rose just beginning to open. Around this time, I started practicing yoga. I joined a studio where classes made me feel like I was undergoing heart surgery. Surfing needs to be done when the swell is at the correct size and angle, when the tide is right for the location, and when the wind comes from the correct direction. Additionally, surfing is best enjoyed when the crowds are light and the sun is shining. Rarely do all of these conditions conspire at the same time. Even if just a few of the factors align, surfers value the freedom to get out into the water when the waves are good. I was falling in love with surfing, but my job made it almost impossible to freely enjoy it. All weekend I would surf with Kurt, but Sunday night would arrive and I would board an airplane and fly to a place like Fresno or Scottsdale and I would wilt. Many developing surfers are faced with the same dilemma, a steady job or a surf lifestyle. It took two years to work up the courage to find another solution to pay my bills. My father ran his own business. My sister was self-employed in real estate. My older brother and his wife both ran their own businesses. My younger brother always had had a side hustle going on, and it was time for me to venture out on my own. I wanted to be with Kurt at the beach, and I wanted to surf and do yoga and be around the man and the place I loved. I was falling madly in love with Kurt. We had been together over a year, and I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. One day on a work trip, I called him from my hotel room. I told him I saw family in our future. I told him that with my current job, there was no way that would happen. I would need to find a job that allowed me to be a mom. Thus began the conversation about opening a yoga studio. I wrote a business plan, applied for funding, and the idea of TriPower Yoga was born. 
After a couple of months of planning and sa- saving, I eagerly shared my mom shared with my mom my plans for starting a small business. My mom, in her unhelpful, helpful way, shot back all the reasons I could fail. Being one that always needs outside permission, especially mom's permission, I allowed her to infect my mind with questions of worthiness and arrogance. Am I crazy arrogant for wanting to do all of this without a business degree? Who do I think I am when I'm, I'm not even experienced as a yoga teacher? That night, I told Kurt what my mom had said. I asked him if I was crazy for wanting to open a yoga studio. No way, he reassured me. You're so smart, you can do anything you try. Even if it doesn't take off right away, I can pay the bills. You should just do what you love. You're smart enough. You can make it work. And that was it. With Kurt's permission, I felt validated. I put in notice at my job. I had saved some money and a small business loan came through for the rest. Over Christmas break, Kurt and his contractor friends completed the build-out of Tri-Power Yoga. I built a website, designed a logo and promotional materials, plastered the town with posters, created a social media presence, mailed out flyers, joined the local merchants association, hired instructors, and planned a grand opening. My heart ached for success. Not because I cared if anyone knew me or knew my yoga studio, but because I wanted to do something I loved. I wanted to share my gift of teaching and help people learn something that was helping me. I wanted to be near Kurt and create an income source that would be self-sustaining after a few years so Kurt and I could consider having kids. I wanted to bring something positive to the rundown beach community that I loved. I wanted to get my hair salty and lose myself in the ocean on a daily basis. I had no clue what I was doing, but the homeschooled student inside of me, the one who taught herself how to read and how to solve equations, was confident she could figure it out. I had never run a business before, but I knew that other people had done it. Why shouldn't I? I hadn't even completed my yoga teacher training certificate when we opened the doors, but I had been teaching some donation classes and was confident I could do the job well. I stood on the corner every week for hours, meeting people and handing out flyers for my studio. This was both humbling and awesome. Four out of five people would push past me like I was annoying them to even suggest they might want a free yoga class. But the ones who stopped and took me up on my offer were genuinely excited, and many ended up becoming my friends. My confidence, however, was still lacking. I was opening on a shoestring budget, so my studio wasn't as nice as the one up the road. Despite my initial optimism, I had no real faith in my teaching ability. My family, having taught me to be so frugal, I fretted, who am I to charge a premium for my service? So I undercut the industry and made my classes the cheapest in the entire city. Opening a business in one of the poorest beach communities presenting a product at a price that made it seem subpar was an approach exactly in step with my normal operating mode. I believed I wasn't worth much. I believed I had something to prove before I would ever be worthy. Therefore, I believed my product wasn't worth much either. For six months, the business grew slowly and consistently, but things never took off as I had hoped. I was out of savings and depending on Kurt to pay most of the bills. Although Kurt was the type of person who loved to take care of his girl, I was humbled. I had been paying my own bills since 18. 
I had never once asked anyone for money. But I was happy and remained hopeful. I felt I just needed to find the right marketing niche. But the money never became what I thought it would be. Within 18 months of TriPower's opening, three more yoga studios opened in the same neighborhood. Kurt willingly paid all of the rent at our apartment, utilities, and food. I brought home just enough to cover my student loans, cell phone bill, and gas for my car. But I was surfing every day, doing yoga, and spending time with the love of my life. I remained hopeful that things would take off at TriPower. So my labor of love went on. Falling back on the example of my father, I began working harder. Clearly, I was doing something wrong. I put in more hours, created more events, spent more time marketing. I stood on the corner longer, handing out free class flyers for months. Before long, I surfed less and spent less time with Kurt. I was teaching so many classes to save on payroll that I never wanted to practice yoga for myself. I calculated that if I taught the same number of classes for someone else, I would actually be making more money. I could see Kurt's growing frustration with my lack of success. At least that's how I perceived it. I never considered that I might be the frustrated one, passing judgment on myself. Kurt seemed upset when I'd passed him the restaurant check, but in retrospect, I don't recall him ever saying anything like that. I would come home from the studio and he would ask me how many people had attended classes that evening. I felt like he was judging me. He wasn't. He just wanted me to be successful just as much as I wanted to be. But my frail self-esteem didn't see it that way. Little by little, Kurt seemed to change. He seemed less interested in going out surfing with me going for bike rides, or attending social events with me. I assumed it was because I was such a miserable failure that he couldn't stand to be around me. While he watched more surf movies, I stayed longer hours at the yoga studio because something felt off in our home. He quit serving on the board of directors at the recovery facility because he couldn't stand to wear a tie. His topic of conversation shifted from objects of gratitude to how he thought his friend should act. It must have all been my fault. I was making him miserable. When we finally decided to communicate about what was going on, I got a much different answer than I expected. He called me the F word. T minus two and a half years. My two years with Kurt were better than those I had with Josh. Still, a lot of me ignored him as I spent long hours building my yoga brand and he ignored me while spending long hours watching TV. Eventually, that tight feeling in my chest returned and we revisited the conversation we'd started on the plane, the conversation we started just a few days before I agreed to spend the rest of my life with him. One night, sitting on opposite couches, Kurt zoned out to the TV while I browsed my email. The silence was so loud I couldn't take it. The familiar tension in my chest seemed to choke me. Something needed saying. I blurted out that I felt like I was a roommate, not a lover. That sex had dwindled, that he didn't compliment me or touch me anymore, and that I felt like I annoyed him more than anything. Well, there is one thing we should talk about, he said. He muted the TV and asked me to come sit by him. 
He looked me in the eyes and said the words I will never forget. I love everything about our relationship. I have so much fun with you. I really love you. He rested his hand on my leg. I could feel him setting up to dish out a blow. There's just one problem. He paused. He chose his words. You've gained so much weight. I'm just not attracted to you anymore. I wanted to puke. My entire body, not just my stomach, felt like it was going to vomit. My blank face refused to form an expression. I was motionless. Time stopped. Finally, I managed to say that I didn't understand. He clarified, well, you have gained a lot of weight since the wedding. I've gained three pounds. It was true. I tracked my weight weekly with an app. I had gained three pounds. I had six-pack abs and rope-like arms. I wasn't getting my period because I was underweight for my frame. But I knew exactly how he had arrived at the idea that I was getting fat. I had given it to him myself. My body was as lean as ever, yet my body image was in the worst shape ever. I constantly complained about how fat I felt. The complaining was really just my way of looking for reassurance that I was not fat at all, and even if I was, that I was still loved. But no outside source could ever give me the validation I needed. What I was asking from Kurt was not only unfair, it was impossible for him to give me. It was no wonder he had been distracting and distancing himself. He subconsciously understood that he was not able to give me what I needed, and it pained him. Kurt was in a bad spot mentally, too, believing he wasn't worthy of all the good things in his life. He had stopped regularly attending recovery meetings and wasn't working his spiritual program. So, we both found ways to sabotage the blessing we had in each other. I grabbed my purse and my journal, and I left. I spent the night at the yoga studio. After two hours of crying in child's pose, I remember the warning he had given me when we first started dating. If I ever relapse, promise me you will leave me. It was the loophole to my vows that day on Sunset Beach. I told my journal, I want out. A part of me hopes he relapses. Of course, I don't want that for him. I just want out. I piled up 10 yoga mats and used two more for blankets. I spent a miserable night tossing my bony frame from side to side and crying, feeling absolutely trapped. The next morning, I told him something had to change. He promised things would change. He promised he would go to more meetings, go to more therapy, meet with his sponsor, sponsor other guys in the program. And he meant it. He felt awful. He really did love me, but we shared the same issue. Neither of us loved ourselves. I hope you liked the episode. If you did, I have a behind-the-scenes video commentary available on my website, 100daysinmexico.com. I also have all kinds of writing from my current adventures. 
I'd love to share this stuff with, with you. So if you head on over to 100daysinmexico.com, you can sign up to become an insider and read all of the behind the scenes content and all of the current stories, the dramas, and the adventure that I'm experiencing while I travel around the world, trying to improve my surfing, trying to improve my life. Until next time.